Our scripture reading for this morning comes from John chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. Hear the word of our Lord. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, we have the privilege of having Doug Shepard uh, sharing God's word with us. Uh, Doug is here with his family, with Masha and his son, Chaz, and daughter, Sophia. They have another child who's not here with us. But Doug is a, uh, a, a missionary with MTW. Uh, he serves in the Ukraine, and he works with planting churches in Ukraine um, and works primarily with uh, RUF-style ministry for the Ukrainian Presbyterian Church there um, with planting churches there in, in the Ukraine. And so we are grateful to have you with us, Doug. Doug is a good friend of Brad's. Uh, they went to seminary together, and so we get to have uh, Doug share God's word with us this morning. Thank you. Thanks, Thank brother. You. Appreciate it. I bring you greetings from the Evangelical Presbyterian Church of Ukraine and special greetings from the Church of the Holy Trinity in Lviv, Ukraine, while acknowledging that most of you don't know where Lviv is, um, and we need to update where Ukraine is. So Ukraine is east of Texas, <laughs> about the size of Texas. Um, and uh, my wife and I, my wife is from Ukraine. We've been serving there uh, for many years. It is a delight to be with you, um, to the, the joy to gather with you at the same time that the world is coming together to celebrate Christ, who is our King. We just read today about Jesus interacting with a man. The interaction ends uh, later after this story with Jesus hearing that he had been cast out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered and said, who is he, sir? that I may believe in him. And Jesus says to him, you have seen him. It is he who is speaking to you. And the man responds, Lord, I believe. And this man worships Jesus. From blindness to clarity of spiritual sight, this man worships. Christina and was seven, Pavlik was four, and their parents told them quickly to jump in a dark hole. They leaped into the darkness and into the sewers of Lviv. Now, Lviv is that city I told you about in western Ukraine. 
it was uh, built up by the Austro-Hungarians and it had an elaborate sewer system built by the Italians. And during the Second World War, the Nazis swept through Lviv, which had a large Jewish population. So the Jews ran for their lives and these people hid, these 11 people hid in the sewers of Lviv in the dark with no light for 14 months. They lived on food that was brought to them by a sewer worker, and they sat for days in the dark in rooms that were so small that the adults could not stand up. Rats and worms were the only other living things around them, and the smell was the only thing worse than the wet cold. Sometimes afterward, the Germans retreated, and Christina and Pavlik were led with the others through the darkness to a courtyard manhole. And in the courtyard, people began to gather around and they saw these people one by one exit the darkness and into the light. They were visibly dirty, malnourished, poorly dressed. What would happen as they came into contact with the light after 14 months in the darkness? Well, Christina recounts in the book Sewers of Lvov, um, by Marshall, that as she came out, everything was red and orange. Faces, buildings, and the sky. Her eyes that had been accustomed to the dark could not take in the light. Pavlik's reaction was even more dramatic. As he encountered the light, he cried. Now, he's five at this point. 14 months underground, he cries out and screams and desperately pleads with his parents to return to the sewer. He was afraid of the light. He was accustomed to the darkness. This is sad on so many levels. Pavlik drawing back from fresh air, from life, from community, everything that was true life because he was comfortable in the darkness. The Bible says that humanity after the fall is much like public. In darkness, we are blind. We are rebellious. We have gone our own way, not physical darkness, but spiritual darkness, where we are alienated, isolated, and separated from the very God who created us. Left to ourselves, there is no hope. Left to ourselves, we could gather our darkness together but cannot create a spark. We need something from the outside. And the Old Testament promises, and God's response to our rebellion was to send a Messiah, to send a Savior, to rescue us. And that was called the light. It says in Isaiah 9, the people that walk in darkness have seen a great light. And we knew and had, had been told that a Messiah would come. That he would speak the truth. That he would be morally pure. And he would be the very presence of the living God. Jesus declares here, the text in John is saying to us that Jesus is in fact this light. Jesus is in fact God of the universe who has taken on human flesh and is standing among us. 
John, the apostle, writes this book from beginning to end, focusing on the argument that Jesus is this light. It actually says in the very, the very first that Jesus is the light of men. Is Jesus God in the flesh? Is Jesus the light? Well, Jesus says, says as much. Right? He declares it. He says, what does he say? He says in verse 5, I am the light of the world, which is rather a bold and all-encompassing statement. I am the light of the world. Now, he makes several I am statements throughout John. You have Ego Sum over here for the John 15 on your banner. Jesus repeatedly makes these divinity statements where he says, I am. And in chapter 8, he says, I am the light. I am God is what it would sound like. God is with you. I am the light, he says. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will walk in light. The man is standing there saying, I am God in the flesh. I hold all power over light and darkness. Not regionally, not in the world, but the universe. Jesus has said so. Well, we, we might have met people that made declarations that they're, they're God. Uh, maybe we've met people that made declarations of God and, and spit and make mud. I don't know. Maybe you've seen that. Maybe in Austin. I don't know. But here what Jesus does is he does not show and tell. He does tell and show. He says, I am the light. Which for them, that would have sparked their ears. Wait a minute. This is, the this is who's going to rescue us? And then what does he do? He puts clay, right? He makes mud and puts it on this guy's eyes, the blind man from birth. The guy comes back seeing. He declares it and then he demonstrates that he is the light. Now, the early church fathers would point out that this act echoes Genesis. Jesus is taking clay. Jesus is speaking light out of the darkness. This is the creator God. In verse 32, John tells us further that this is something that's never been seen before in the history of humanity. The Bible's not full of miracles of people born blind seeing. Right? This is the first one. Only God could do this miracle. Is he God? Is this the speaker of truth? He who's morally pure. Is this the presence of the living eternal God seems to be wouldn't people fall at his feet and worship him why the rejection in chapter 8 they're trying to stone him why the death threats well John the author tells us already in chapter 3 that the darkness hates the light maybe we shouldn't be surprised we as humanity have made our own sewer life. We have our own sewer society, our own sewer values, our sewer morality, and the light that encroaches makes us uncomfortable. We've created our own false lights, our little plastic candles. We've convinced one another that they're virtuous and valuable. And true light is a threat. Sadly, like Pavlik, 
we can fear and run from, the very thing that can bring us life and salvation. We can, as we prayed here, and pray against, we can follow our own sinful desires to seek the shady and dark things in life and go away from the very word and presence of our salvation and hope. But Jesus in his great love and kindness doesn't leave us there. Jesus responded, the Trinity responded to our rebellion by promising the Messiah. Jesus comes here and in chapter 9, not only is bringing great blessing and salvation to this one man, he is on the road to the cross where he will take our sin and pay, which is half the gospel. The other part is he is walking a pure righteous life where that righteousness will be imputed to us where we can stand in his presence. Now you can be taken from the sewer life and be brought into the family of God. His action, he comes, he sees, he moves, he draws us into the light. And that's why you send me around the world, not to talk about how to, how to do technology, thank goodness, or how to run a business, or how to be better, but to go and declare he who is the light of the world. The hope for humanity, no matter where you land, if you get on a plane, is Christ himself. And today, we want to see, just briefly, what does it mean for us to walk in the light? Jesus said he is the light, and we must respond and walk in the light. And what is that going to bring for us? What does this new life mean for you? Or maybe more pointedly, who do you say Jesus is? Is he God in the flesh? Is he the light? Is he your hope out of darkness? Jesus is the light, therefore we must walk in the light. The light brings transformation. And this, this text is very interesting, fascinating even, to see how Jesus sets the scene for people like me that may be a little bit slow to demonstrate what is light, what is truth, what is blindness, and what is darkness. And he used this man for it, and I will follow uh, in those footsteps. First, we see that when we walk in the light, we walk with new eyes. Jesus gives this man new eyes so he can take in reality. But beyond the physical eyes, which is quite fascinating and spectacular, he goes beyond that, and he opens his spiritual eyes so he can now see the truth. He can see the Savior, see himself for who he is, see history for what it is, see the horrors of sin and our rebellion for what it is, and the hope and the trajectory of humanity and history. He spits on the ground and makes mud with the saliva, but in the very end, the man says, I believe and worships. New eyes see new truth and see Jesus. Now, if you were blind uh, from birth, you have no reference for light. I mean, we're, we would try to explain what it is. That would be a tricky one. How do you explain light to someone who's in the darkness? Um, but this man wanders down to the pool. We'll get back to that later washes off, and suddenly an explosion 
that he probably doesn't have words for and he can see. And that must have been transformative. And this light that burst in is, is, is all-encompassing. He can see the pool. He can see life. He, for the rest of his life, he's walking and he can see. And that is to a lesser degree what's happening on the spiritual realm as he is able to see Jesus and believe and worship. Jesus is transforming his spiritual life. And Jesus and that light is now coming into all areas of his life. It's not limited. It's not in a religious box. How he thinks about himself, how he thinks about his neighbors, how he thinks about vocation, how he thinks about history, how he thinks about his thinking about himself. The light is now shining in all of his life. And it is new. How transformative. What will the truth of Jesus mean? What will the purity of Jesus mean? What will the presence of the living God mean in all areas of his new life? Jesus is not handing out candles, right? He's not giving us flashlights. He is saying, look at me. I am the light and you will walk in this newness of life. Now, how did he get back from the pool? Um, the blind man seems to be older, right? He's, he's of age. So I suppose, what, he's 30? I don't know. Let's say he's 30. And they call him a beggar. So that tells us what he's doing every day. And he's blind from birth. That kind of locks in how he's getting around. So he leaves the house, I'm guessing, has parents, we find that out, goes somewhere to beg. Now, how is he getting there? I suppose, and some of you may have uh, blind friends, they have a lot of tricks and hints to, to get around. Maybe you're counting, maybe you're feeling, maybe you're hearing, whatever it is. So this guy works his way down to the city gates or wherever, and uh, these guys come up, they're talking about him, kind of tacky, got to be honest with you. They're talking about the guy, not to the guy. The guy spits, puts mud on his face, and then you got to make your way to the pool to wash it off. You know where the pool is. You've walked down there before. And now you wash your eyes, and suddenly light has burst in. The water that you felt, now you see it. It shimmers. It's almost miraculous. What is that? You see the pool, the outline of the pool, people around the pool. You've never seen color before. That burst in. You felt texture, but you've never seen depth. That's breaking in. But now where do you go? How, how does he get out? How does he find his way home? He's never walked home before seeing. He has a new life now. And I imagine he's going, oh, wait a minute. Where, do I leave that way or that way? He's going, okay, wait a minute. Eh, eh. Right? Never seen his house. Never seen his parents' face. Never seen the road. Never seen the steps. He has a new life. Right? And that new life, he doesn't exactly know what to do, but he can see and he can move. And that's what Jesus brings us in this new life. Now, at college, I went to, um, I don't know if I drugged people or I was drugged. It was, it was been a while, 30 years. Uh, we went to square dancing lessons. And there was a group of us. 
I'm not from a, to show my cards, I'm not from a square dancing home, though we weren't against it. I don't recall there being anyone besmirching the benefits of square dancing. But when I went, I didn't know what it was. And we stepped into a room and there was a couple that looked like something out of the TV with an incredible outfit. And I knew there was going to be a square involved. (laughs) I'm not completely uh, an idiot. So I knew there was a square and we were told where to stand and you have a partner and you, and then they commence to bark orders at us and turn the music on. You bow to your corner, you bow to your, your corner, your partner, you do side do. I don't still wonder what that is. I think it's appropriate. And then you begin to move and you hook arms, you, you grab people, you spin. All of my instincts, I found out, were wrong. All of the balance, I'm on the wrong foot, I'm turning the wrong way. And it was a new dance. That is a perfect example of what a new life in Christ is. We do not trust our sewer instincts. He's not there to empower you. He's not not there to, to encourage you and your story. He is the story. And you have meaning as you're connected to your creator. And he is working in us a new way of thinking, a new way of acting, a new way of feeling. And it's new but we don't know how to do it. It's very unsettling, however. Most of our lives we spend trying to create avenues in which we do not have that emotion of confusion. I don't know it. I'm weak. I am needy. However, Jesus is committed to drive that point home. He's not committed to Independence Day. He's committed to your dependence on Him as the light. He will draw you in. That's good news, is it not? How many of us are absolutely overwhelmed with what is going on in the world? Maybe overwhelmed with what's going on inside you. Your inability to get your act together and to get your thinking together. Your inability to get your mind around what's happening and how to fix it and where this thing's going. The good news is you know who does. You know the beginning and the end. You know the light. And he draws you in and he says, you are now united with me, follow me. And I will work that light deep into every avenue of your life. This isn't a Christian box on the side. This isn't Sundays. This is every way in which we think and communicate and live. And that's good news for us. It's confusing. It doesn't feel comfortable, but he's good. He is committed to transform us and transform you The Bible talks about this as sanctification. We put away sin and we live to righteousness and we're liberated from the sewer life. The other and last part is that not not only do we walk with new eyes, we walk in new opposition. Um, And none of us likes opposition. Well, some of us may like opposition, but no one's seeking it out. We see here that the blind man is healed by Christ. He can see, and his contact with the light, and his contact with the light, meaning Jesus, brings him into opposition. John has already told us in chapter 3 that the darkness does not like the light, it hates the light. And now this man who's been united now joins in and faces that opposition. Let's see where the opposition takes place. If you do have a Bible... You can follow. If not, I will help you. Um, This man comes to faith 
and his neighbors respond in a way that is, if you're of the humorous sort, you might see the humor. Um, In verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it's he. Others said, no, it's someone that's like him. And he kept saying, I'm the man. Okay, so the neighborhood is there. He's standing there. And again, people aren't talking to him. They're talking about him. Hey, is this the beggar guy? And he's standing there. Like, nah, I think it looks like him. You know, I don't know. The hairs look a little different. And the guy's like, no, woohoo, it's me. The guy who went from blind can see has now become invisible, and the neighbors don't know what to do with it. That's surprising, but you're like, yeah, the neighbors. They had seen him, but they hadn't seen him. What about the parents? Right? The parents would know this. What was the parents' response? This is a heartbreaker. It says, the Jews did not believe, in verse 18, that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. The Jews are outraged. Get to that later. So they call the parents in, and they say, is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? And his parents answered, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. But now how he sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And this is what John puts in the parentheses. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was going to be put out of the synagogue. So man born blind, and we think his biggest problem is that he can't see. Can see. On his way home, the neighbors don't even believe he is who he is. The Jews are mad that he can see because they're not in control. And the parents are there. And what do you hope the parents do? Yeah, that's our guy. Hey, how'd you see? Let's, let's find that guy. No, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, he's our son. But like, just you deal with him. Opposition. Following Christ is now dividing the family. And finally, the religious leaders condemn him. Right? They interrogate him. I mean, who has talked to this blind man? What conversations has he had in his life? Probably few. Some of, some of us, I know, are, may go into law school where we go back and forth and back and forth. This guy's nothing. And now the Jews are interrogating this guy because he can see. He gets thrown out of the synagogue. Now, the synagogue is, it's, this is Walmart, the country club, and church all together. So, what a first 24 hours. This guy went from darkness to light, but being united with Christ brought him in opposition to the neighborhood, cost him his family, and now he's been thrown out of everything. Following Christ leads to opposition. We should not be shocked by that. We should not seek it. This is not opposition because we're jerks. This is not opposition because we're unloving. This is not opposition because we're riding some hobby horse issue. Right? We're called to love the world, have compassion, respect, engage the world. But the light is offensive. The world hates the light. And you will face opposition. That's good news. Because the opposition has a purpose. 
We see here this man, as he faces opposition, goes from not knowing Jesus to worshiping Jesus in a very few, well, in a very short period of time. He says, and follow this, the blind man does not know who Jesus is, and he gets interrogated. And this is what he says in verse 11, the man they call Jesus. Okay, that's kind of, he's out there. Verse 17, he says, he's a prophet. Okay, that's getting closer. This guy's somebody important. Verse 27 to 28, he acknowledged that this man is such a good teacher, he should have disciples. Verse 33, he says, this guy's from God. And by the end of the chapter, he says, this is the Son of Man, and he worships him. The opposition, which we don't seek out, is purposeful in that it clarifies for us what is the truth, where is your life, where is your hope. None of us want physical problems. None of us want social problems, but in all of the trials, we're brought back to God. Who are you? Are you good? What is my life and where is this going? Lord, what are your purposes in this? And it draws us into the light. Opposition is used by God to draw us closer. You all get these annoying things that say your phone is going to update, right? Jesus is committed to update your software daily through opposition. You can't decline it. He's committed to update and update, and the light is shining throughout all areas of your life because he's good. Now, some of us struggle with wanting to be accepted, and some of us, and I would like this, I would like to think, you know, if we really got this Christianity thing down and spoke right and had the right tone, you know, we could really calibrate it right, and present it right, the world would somehow applaud and get it, right? Most of us don't want to be harangued and cast out, but somewhere inside we think, you know, maybe this can work. You know, maybe if we just get the the right training and we do it the right way, we will not have a world stand up and applaud us if they killed Jesus when he came, right? We should expect it, not seek it and not not draw it because of our own lack of love and compassion, obviously. Your neighbors are not going to applaud you for seeking the light, right? You're going to be weird in following the light because you're standing on truth, and your place for hope and identity and authority is in something else, and that's okay. That's okay because now we walk in the light. Finally, Jesus here in the very, the, the very last verses, it says, Jesus heard that, that they had cast him out, and having found him, the man born blind, not seen, right? neighbors don't even know who he is, passed over, even when he sees the people aren't listening to him, has, the, and the disciples, by the way, talk about this guy as a theological problem, not as a person. Yet Jesus, it starts in the first verse, says Jesus saw him. And it ends with Jesus finding him, and that's who you have. The creator of the universe is personal, and he knows you, and he created you, and he created you for light. Respond with belief and worship. We live and give all of our lives to him, and it's for his glory. Not to empower you to be independent, but to bring us together to praise his name. Grace exists 
to make Jesus' name great. Grace will show through its hospitality, its graciousness, the way you forgive one another, that Jesus is the Lord of grace. And he's coming again soon. The, the, uh, the name John M. Hull may or may not mean anything to you. In 1983, after his, the news of his firstborn son, right? So he got a new son. He was a professor of religion. It's an Australian guy who's, who was teaching in England. He got news that he would go blind. Gradually, but it was going to happen and there's no way to stop it. So he began to, to make audio recordings of what it was like to go from seeing to blind. The Road to Deep Darkness, he wrote several books. Uh, sight and Insight, those kind of things. It led to a film called Notes on Blindness. The thing that caught my attention um, and maybe created uh, a lot of fear, which I should look into, was he was afraid, and he knew there would be a time in the future where he couldn't remember his son's face, couldn't remember his wife's face. His visual memory would be wiped out, and he knew it, and he couldn't get it back. That is a perfect image of what happened in the fall. We completely lost recognition of the face of God. We completely forgot our visual memory of who our good, holy creator was. The story today is that Jesus works that story backwards. Out of darkness, he brings light, and he works it into your, to your lives. And you start recognizing from red to orange, recognizing his face, recognizing truth. Not by yourself, but as you lean in and hear his word, as you gather with his people. Jesus is the light. Do you know him? Jesus will lead you through opposition and troubles, but he is present and he's coming again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness, your goodness, that you do not leave us in the darkness, but you come, that you seek us, you find us, and you say you will take us home. We pray you would give us great faith that you would work out our love for you in this community and that your light would shine both in the woodlands and in the world for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.